You're listening to the Harborside Church Podcast. To connect with us online, go to www.harborside.org. We hope you enjoy this message. Good morning. Very quiet in here, isn't it? How are we doing? Pretty good? Is my mic too loud? It's all right? Okay. Hope you're really well. Welcome... Well, you know, welcome newcomers, welcome old, old folks, but, you know, there's not too many old folks here. We've only been going for nine weeks. Can you believe Harborside is only eight weeks old? There's little um, Banjo Barnes who was dedicated a few weeks ago, and this church is about as old as him. He, so if you see him wandering around, he's this tiny little infant. If we get a few things wrong here at Harborside Church, please just bear with us because we are as old as little Banjo Barnes. Okay, so try and keep that in mind. Oh, welcome. It's so good to be here. My name's Dave, one of the pastors, the only pastor here at Harborside Church. And I hope that you felt welcome. I hope you've got a, a warm cup of coffee. You, you had a, a warm shake of the hand. And here at Harborside, we want to be a warm and welcoming place to invite people to encounter Jesus. That's why we exist. We've got an exciting vision here. It's to proclaim the hope of Jesus to Mossman and beyond. And that's a good thing because there's a lot of hopelessness in our world, isn't there? A lot of hopelessness, even in a beautiful, affluent area like this. There's a lot of people without hope. And so we're all about proclaiming the hope of Jesus to people. And so we're excited that you're here. We're hoping maybe that you want to partner with us in this vision, in this mission. At Harborside, we're committed to opening up God's word and letting him speak. And so that's what we're going to do this morning. We're going to bow the knee. We're going to humble ourselves and hear from God's word. It's a beautiful passage that Andrew has read so well for us. I'm excited to dive into this text for the next hour and 45 minutes. That's a joke. (laughs) And uh, we're going to get into it. So let me pray, hey, because we need the spirit of God to be at work this morning. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for the opportunity to gather here as, as your people as, as friends, as we're trying to, to, to get to know people. But the truth is that the people of God are more than friends. We're more than acquaintances. We're more than good friends. We're family. And that is a strange concept for us very individual people. And so, Lord God, we, we ask that you would create us. You'd make us into a family. That is beautiful. Warts and all. That loves each other deeply even when we struggle to do that, even when we have issues together, we pray that you'd help us to overcome them by your spirit. We look forward to hearing from you. We love you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I don't know if my mic's a bit verby. Pete, if you want to turn it down or see how we go here. All right, let me show you a couple of pictures. This is the absolute iconic Sydney Harbour Bridge. Our beloved, famous Sydney Harbour Bridge. This one's taken at night. It's just so iconic, isn't it? The harbour in the, in the foreground, in the background. It's known worldwide. This is our beautiful Sydney Harbour Bridge. It's another photo of the same thing. That's the Sydney Harbour Bridge. Yeah, it's taken quite a long time ago. Now, maybe you've seen the Sydney Harbour Bridge in this perspective. When you're walking across, when you're driving across, you look up and it's black and white, so your eyes really go to the iron structure of the building. It's quite cool, isn't it, the symmetry of the building. It's the same bridge, isn't it, but two different perspectives. It's kind of cool. They're so different. I mean, this, that 
versus that. The same bridge. Pretty cool. I wonder if you've ever visited this website. It's called The Perspective. It's actually quite interesting. I went down one of those internet rabbit holes this week. Have you ever been down one of them before when you're on YouTube? Oh, that looks cool. And you're clicking and you're clicking and you're clicking. And half, an hour and a half later, you're like, where did the time go? Internet rabbit hole. I went down one of them this week. Uh, it's quite a fascinating website. Their, their tagline is, you can sort of see it there if you've got good eyes, there are at least two sides to every story. It features popular topics of today. It attempts to give both sides of the issue equal time, equal balance, which I think is a very noble task, particularly in the climate we're in today, right, where the divide is great, and either side seems like people are just interested in yelling things at each other. It's cool to have this website giving both perspectives on things. It's got lots of things in there like Trump, hero or villain, or social media, good for us, terrible for us, globalisation, it's done the world a, a great deal of good and a great deal of harm. But by far and away the most popular one, and the one that really sucked me in, was this one. Titanic. Could Jack have been saved? Oh, man. Yeah, okay. Right. Now, if you don't know what I mean, there's, there's some men looking at me at the moment going, I don't know what you mean. I know, what you, I know that you know what I mean. Don't lie to me, it's your favourite movie. I know it is. It's not Gladiator, it's Titanic. I know it. Now, if you, if you really don't know what I mean, at the end of the epic movie Titanic, lovers Jack and Rose escape from the sinking ship, in case you don't know, the Titanic goes down. Now, they're, now they're pretty poor folks, so they don't get on a lifeboat, tragically, so they're freezing in the Atlantic, and, and Jack puts his lover Rose on the remnant of a door floating in the Atlantic to try and save her. But as we well know, Jack is almost completely submerged in the freezing water, and he dies of hypothermia, but Rose stays alive long enough to be rescued. Now, since the movie came out 20 years ago, there's been so much debate. Could Jack have been saved? So this website kind of gives the no and the yes arguments. The yes arguments say, yes, of course he could have been saved. There was plenty of room on that remnant of the door, on the raft. People with way too much time on their hands have recreated <laughs> the scene. Look at them. It's just pathetic, isn't it? I mean, it's crazy. But the no camp says, no, there was, there was absolutely not enough room. Now, the yes camp says, OK, well, if there was... There might have been enough room, but what they could have done is Jack could have tied some life vests under the door and Rose could have got off while he was doing that. But, but the no camp says, no, she would have died of hypothermia if she'd, if she'd popped into the water for long enough, so on and so forth. So, conclusion, just maybe Jack could have been saved. Now, I'm sure it's been a question that's been plaguing you for a long time. It was in your heart when you came to church this morning, I'm sure. So I'm glad I've helped sort of answer this question, could Jack from the Titanic have been saved? What a question to ponder. Not really. In our, in our passage for today, we get two perspectives on a theme. And it's really helpful for us. Because seeing something from different angles can give us a greater appreciation, a better understanding, greater, more fuller insight into what we're looking at. So today, that's really good because that theme is faith. What is faith? Could you describe it? If someone said to you, you're a religious person or you're seeking out religious things, what's faith mean to you? What is it? What is faith? There's lots of questions surrounding it, aren't there? Now, we're living in, in a cultural moment that's, well, lots of things according to faith, but maybe dismissive or, or suspicious of faith, certainly in faith in things you can't see. 
But do, even, do people, even non-religious people, exercise some kind of faith? What is it? Okay, what is faith? What does it mean to have faith? Here's a good question. What does it mean to have fear meet faith? This morning we're going to meet two people of faith. Two accounts that Mark's put together for us. Two stories that there's two there to help one highlight the other. We're going to see faith from different angles. We're going to see faith in Jesus from different angles. Now, we're back into our Discover Jesus series. Last week, we had John Lewis from the Baptist World Aid here talking to us about what we're going to do. Remember, our vision is proclaiming the hope of Jesus to Mossman and beyond. What's that going to look like for us here? So we're talking about an exciting opportunity to partner with a community in Nepal to help these folks come out of poverty. So stay tuned for that. It's very exciting. I'm really excited about the partnership we're creating with Baptist World Aid. That was last week. So this week, we're back in our Discover Jesus series. We're really looking at the questions, who is Jesus and what did he come to do? What kind of man is this? We've seen Jesus in the, at the end of chapter 4 calm a storm. He's with his disciples, with his, simply with his words. He tells the wind and the waves to be still, and they do. Why? Because they recognize his voice as the one who created them. Jesus is Lord over the creation. A couple of weeks ago, we had Simon Smart here preaching on the, the demon-possessed man. Jesus transforms this man, redeems him, restores him, proving that Jesus is Lord over the spiritual realm. Today, we're going to see Jesus display his lordship, that is, exercise his power, his authority over sickness and even death. Maybe this man is worthy even of our faith. Now, we're going to travel through this remarkable account. It's just a, it's a tremendous story, narrative, isn't it? It's beautiful. It can preach itself, well, let's hope. Uh, but it's, it's an amazing story. It's a beautiful account. We're going to travel through, and we're going to see how these two people respond in faith to Jesus. We're going to go through it together. So you ready? I don't want to do this on my own. Are you ready? Harborside, we're ready. It's not too hot. We've got the fans going. I want to see no one sort of nodding off. I will point you out. No, I won't do that. But <laughs> here we go. Let's dive into this text together. Let's see what God has for us. Because there are significant things for people of faith, people discovering about what faith might be today. Let's dive in. A large crowd. I'm not going to read the verses. We've had it read to us. I'm going to travel through and we're going to see it together. A large crowd has gathered again to meet with Jesus. Jesus has been on the other side of the lake to heal the demon-possessed man. He crosses back to the side, which is predominantly Jewish. He gets off the boat, and there's a massive crowd to meet him. People want a piece of him. They, they want to meet him. They want to experience him. They, they might want a miracle from him. The crowds at this point in Mark's gospel are attracted to Jesus. And amongst the hustle and bustle, he's approached by this man, Jairus. Who is he? We're told he's a synagogue ruler, or synagogue leader. Now, what does that mean? It means he's not a professional religious person. He's not a Pharisee or a Sadducee. He's a lay person. He's most likely a man of good standing in the community. And his job was to uh, have the running of the synagogue go well, make it orderly and, and make everything go well for that place. Quite a prestigious uh, position. Not a, not a huge community, but a prestigious one nonetheless. A man of good standing in his community. But notice how he approaches Jesus. How? He runs up to him, falls at his feet. 
The man is desperate. We're going to meet two desperate people today. This man is desperate. His good standing is most likely wealth. His good standing in the community means nothing at this point. He runs to Jesus and falls at his feet. His little daughter's serious condition has brought him to the edge of himself. We can, I'm sure, all relate. He, what does he say? My little daughter is dying. Please help me. I'm sure we can all relate. Uh, when Joshy was three, we've got three kids. Josh, who's seven. Bella, who is six today. You heard that before. That's very sweet of Rachel to announce that. I'm, I'm sure everyone probably who was here before 10 o'clock was told it was her birthday. She's running, it's my birthday. It's very sweet. So we've got Josh, uh, who's seven, Bella, who's six, and Micah, who's three. Everybody knows Micah, the bruiser. Now, when, when Josh was three, he woke up one morning and said, I can't walk. Now, he wasn't speaking very well at three, but he said, I can't walk. And we, we thought, well, that's... We kind of ignored it, great parenting. But he was um, sort of crawling around for the day, and we, we tried to pick him up and, oh, walk, buddy, but he just he wouldn't. And so I thought that's kind of strange. So we went to the doctor, and, and they were quite concerned pretty quickly, so they rushed him to hospital immediately. We, were like, we just had no idea what was going on. There's a picture of little Joshy in his hospital bed there at three years old. He's so sweet. Um, it was quite crazy. It happened really quickly. We ended up being in there for a few nights in the children's hospital in Randwick. I remember sleeping there next to him. And it's kind of a scary thing. They weren't exactly sure what was going on with him, so they had to do a lot of tests. And um, that was scary for him. Lots of needles and you know, having to hold your child down. It's a full-on experience. It's just any pain that your child experiences, you want to trade places with them. You know what I mean? You, you just you, you want to know, I don't want that to happen to my child, let it happen to me. Here's a photo of him in hospital. He didn't like the clowns the most. <laughs> he actually, the, cl the clowns were amazing. There's a few photos where he like, it, it was just a bit of a shock. But, uh, but that experience in the children's hospital was obviously very difficult, but profound. It, le it left a, a lasting impression on us. There's many people going through dark journeys there, but you'll know it's not hard to relate that when something happens to a loved one, you just, everything focuses, doesn't it? The per peripheral things become, well, just that peripheral. And you're focused in on what's going on. This is what's happening to Jairus. Even though this man had much, it doesn't take much for all of that to mean very little. And what does Jesus do? Remember the context? There's a huge crowd. Everyone wants a piece of him. Jairus, I don't know, makes a way for himself, semi-important kind of guy, thinks I'll get this guy's attention. And what does Jesus do? Jairus, I'm a busy guy. Can you see the crowds? I mean, I'm pretty wanted. Come back at a more convenient time. No, Jesus doesn't do that. He always has time for the one you notice that? I love this man. You know, all the people um, I admire in ministry, in the church world, yes, they've got gifts. Uh, they can maybe speak, men and women in ministry. They can, they, God's given them great gifts. But the people I truly admire are the ones who have time for people, you know, who have time for the one. I don't know if you've seen that movie. It just came out. It's called Who Is My Neighbor? It's about a guy called Mr. Rogers. He's kind of like... Um, a lot of Americans grew up with him, like our version of play school. It was a very no-frills uh, show that was on for many, many years, decades. And he was a Presbyterian ordained minister. 
that went into TV basically as an evangelism tool, as a ministry. He was on the public broadcasting network like our ABC for decades. And he loved kids. The show was really nothing fancy. But he got down on their level and he spoke to them. This documentary, I really recommend it. It's called Who Is My Neighbour? And you see him you know, do appearances and meet with kids. The first thing he does, he gets on their level. He sits on the ground. And he talks in these beautiful tear-jerking scenes where uh, children with disabilities and mental things come up to him and touch his face and, and want to hug him. And he's just there, present with them. It's beautiful. He gets the puppets out. and Jesus has time for the one. Beautiful. Okay, so Jesus goes with Jairus. Now, on the way to Jairus' house, the crowds follow. They follow him. Maybe we'll see another miracle. They follow him. And we're told a woman is also there in the crowd who's been subject to bleeding for 12 years. She's tried to get help from this from, you know, in the care of doctors. We don't quite know what that was. Didn't do any good. She spent everything that she had. She hasn't got better. She's grown worse. Can we just spend a couple of moments considering this woman's life, considering her plight. She has been bleeding for 12 years. There's a lot of similarities in this story. The, the girl who gets raised from the dead, she's 12 years old. For that same amount of time, this woman has had this condition. Can you imagine? She's been bleeding for 12 years. We don't exactly know what's going on, but it seems to be some sort of menstrual issue. This poor woman is bleeding. Today, that would be horrible. Imagine back then. Imagine having blood-stained clothes all the time. This poor woman, not only it being a shameful and embarrassing thing for her, it had real consequences as well. She, she wouldn't have been able to enter the temple. She was permanently, ceremonially unclean. Now, what did that mean? Well, it means she couldn't enter the temple to worship. It also meant that she shouldn't have been in that crowd. She shouldn't have been there. I love the chick. She shouldn't have been there, though. Because for other people to touch her, most certainly they would have been. It would have made them unclean. So she actually, this, this woman is an outsider, cut off from her community. An outsider, lonely and broken, cut off from family, community. But she's desperate. Jairus, he's desperate. This woman is desperate. She's tried everything else. She's come up short. She's at the end of herself, but she's come to the right place. She's heard about Jesus. Jesus is making a commotion in this area. She's probably heard about this kind-hearted healer. I've tried everything else. I'll try this. I'll go and see him. Now, she makes herself anonymous. How does Jairus approach her? From the front. A man is standing. I can probably command this Jesus' attention. The woman, no such thoughts, comes up from behind. I'm a nobody, she's thinking. I'll just kind of a bit superstitiously comes up from the back. If I just touch Jesus, his clothes... I'll be healed. And she is. Instantly she receives healing. Immediately the bleeding stopped, we're told, and she felt in herself that her suffering was over. Her faith in Jesus, ability to heal, is well-founded. Jesus does the no-look heal. I love it. It's bizarre, isn't it? It's quite a, it's a fascinating story. I mean, amazing. The power of Jesus is extraordinary. She heard, she came, she touched, she trusted. She's healed. Now, this next part has always puzzled me. We'll get there in a second, but here we go. It's always puzzled me. Now, Jesus, he knows what's happened. He's not oblivious. 
It, the text tells us that. He realizes a power has gone out of him. He knows about this woman. He knows that she's been healed because of what's taken place. And he turns around and he says, who touched me? Now, his disciples, not for the first time, not for the last time, think Jesus is a bit soft in the head. I mean, Jesus, have you seen the crowd around you? I don't know if anyone went to the Taylor Swift concert on Friday night. I myself wasn't there. But um, there's a few people. That's, that's cool. I'm a Taylor fan. Anyway, um, but... Down the front, I mean, I'm sure it was just absolutely pressed. You're like this. Have you ever been on a, a train or a subway car where you're like this? You're kind of getting intimate with the person next to you, whether you like it or not. It was a crowd like that. People are touching each other, whether you like it or not. And his disciples say, Jesus, there's lots of people trying to get at you, lots of people touching you, but Jesus won't let it go. He keeps looking around to see who's touched him. At this point, you, this is what I've, I've struggled a bit to understand this. At this point, you might be thinking, Jesus, let it go. I mean, leave her, this poor woman, she's been through enough. Leave her alone. Don't make her come out here in front of everybody. Don't expose her. Leave her alone. Why does Jesus call her out? Well, she comes forward, falls at his feet, trembling with fear, and we're told, tells her, him the whole truth. Jesus says, I love these words, daughter, your faith is healed. You go in peace and be freed from your suffering. Jesus calls her out to have a personal encounter with her. Jesus calls her out to have a personal encounter with her. What does this woman want? She wants a healing. Don't blame her. She wants a healing. Jesus wants a relationship. See that? She wants her awful problem resolved. Who can blame her? Jesus wants her whole life restored. How often do we just want the problem to go away? How often are we like, oh, just take this away from me, Lord? But Jesus wants our whole selves. So we're asking the question today, what is faith? Well, this is helpful. It's a bit of a clue, isn't it? Faith is not just one little step in. It's all in. It's an all-in kind of thing. Jesus is in the business of restoring the whole person. I wonder if you've heard of the remarkable woman, she's a bit of an idol of mine, Dr. Catherine Hamlin. There's a picture of her. And her work, incredible work in Ethiopia. Truly an amazing woman. Dr. Hamlin, she's a Christian and she's an Australian surgeon. And she was married to Reg for a number of years. Her late husband, he died a little while ago. And they went to Ethiopia... They're both surgeons, to serve the poor and needy. And you can read all about it in her book, Hospital by the River, which I just cannot recommend highly enough. It's a fantastic read, very inspiring. Uh, while they were there, they met many women who suffered from something called obstetric fistulas. Now, this occurs when women have long and difficult births, labours, and when they're unable to get to medical care or hospital, often, tragically, the baby dies and, and leaves the women... Uh, internally very damaged, and often their bladders are destroyed and they're incontinent, if not taken care of, for the rest of their lives. It's incredibly tragic circumstances, and it's very common. Dr. Hamlin writes, We were touched and appalled by the sadness of our first fistula patient, a beautiful young woman in urine-soaked clothes, sitting alone in, a, in our outpatient's department, away from the other waiting patients. We knew she was more in need than any of the others. Now, at this time, in the 60s, there was no treatment, no, no cure, no healing for people like this. So originally, uh, Reg and Catherine were going to stay in Ethiopia for three years. 
Dr. Hamlin's now been there for almost 60. She's 92 years old. They stayed and they pioneered treatment and cure for patients with uh, obstetric fistulas. Uh, it's, it's remarkable what these people are doing. It's called Hamblin Fistula Institute, what they're doing there. It's truly amazing. I just, there's so much I could say. I love the book so much, but I'll just tell you one story. This is Yeshi. Yeshi was just a teenager when she suffered a severe obstetric fistula due to an obstructed labour. The experience was so traumatic, she doesn't talk about it. What we do know is that her bladder was destroyed and the nerves in her legs damaged, leaving her with difficulty walking and need for a cane. Living in a remote village where no one knew what a fistula was, she was shunned and alone, no longer invited to see friends, not allowed to travel on public transport. You see the similarities with the woman from our passage today? For one year, yes, she lived this painful, invisible existence, during this time, her father passed away from what Yeshi believes was a broken heart from what had happened to her. Finally, her mother heard about Hamlin Fistula Ethiopia and raised enough money to pay, not for her care, just for the transport to get there. The care is free. Transport to get there, they had to raise money for. When Yeshi arrived, she was completely taken aback, having imagined she was the only person in the world to have this condition. Yeshi was surprised to see so many other women suffering just like her. For the first time in a long time, she was no longer invisible, but part of a loving community. Dr. Hamlin and her team seek to restore, to heal, yes, but seek to restore the dignity of these women. To date, they have restored the dignity of almost 55,000 women in Ethiopia. Isn't that amazing? Isn't it amazing what people of God can do? Dr. Hamlin and her team are inspired by Jesus Christ. You can imagine them thinking of this passage. They go about their work, and as they began their work there. See, Jesus is not content with just a healing for this woman, but wants full restoration for her life. Now, can you see the significance of this for her and for us? You see, we want our problems solved, but he wants more. He wants a relationship. Okay, now we return back to Jairus. So we had the opening as Jairus' story. Oh, my little girl's dying. Okay, well, let's go there. We've been interrupted by this woman. Another emergency. And now we're back. Imagine what Jairus has been thinking this whole time. I've got an emergency. Let's hurry up this other emergency, please. They've been delayed. And has, is it too late? Have they been delayed too long? While Jesus is still speaking with this woman, two people from Jairus' house, most likely servants, come and, and they say abruptly, your daughter is dead. Why bother the teacher anymore? Every time I read this, I am just astounded by their rudeness. I mean, can you imagine like, how they deliver the news? I just, it's so blunt, so inconsiderate. But I guess maybe they're thinking, why bother this healer anymore? He can't help you. Maybe while she was alive, this healer could have been helpful, but she's dead. Don't waste your time. Now, we're not told what Jairus' reaction is, but we can imagine it, yeah? Let's put ourselves in his shoes for a minute. His world must be caving in. Your daughter is dead. Don't bother the teacher anymore. His world must be caving in. But Jesus meets him in that place, and says words every single one of us need to hear this morning. Don't be afraid, 
just believe. Don't be afraid. My fears have just been realized. My daughter's dead. Don't be afraid. Just believe sounds kind of trite a bit, doesn't it? Don't be afraid. What about us? Don't be afraid. (laughs) You don't know what's going on in my life. Obviously, if you're telling me not to be afraid, there's plenty to be fearful about. Maybe you've got elderly parents who are sick and needing care. Maybe you don't know what's going on at work. Man, I've just got to go tomorrow and there's so much going on. Maybe your job is on the line. Maybe you've got an illness yourself. Maybe you're about to be exposed. Something, a secret's about to come out. And you're thinking, don't be afraid. Get real. It's the perfect time to be afraid. You know how hard that is? Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Just believe. Believe in what? Jesus says, believe in me. Jesus invites Jairus to meet his fear with faith. Now, faith in what? Faith in the universe? You know, just kind of hoping it's all going to be okay. You heard that before? We're just kind of holding on to hope. It's hoping to be okay. No, no, no. Jesus is encouraging Jairus to meet his fear with faith in him. In the only one that can change our circumstances. So Jesus continues to his house. They lose the crowd. Somehow Jesus loses the crowd. He takes only the three, Peter, James, and John, to his house. They get there. The mourners are already there. Now, in that culture, you honored the dead by really getting the grief out, by mourning. So actually, they would hire professional mourners to come, and they would play a dirge with the flute, and that would often bring on the emotion. So they're already there. In Jewish culture, you basically buried someone at sunset the same day or at the very latest the next day. And so they're already there. It's already happening. Jesus comes and he tells them to go away. He says the, daughter, the, the girl is not dead but asleep and they laugh at him. I'm always surprised at the, their ability to go from crying to laughter in a second like that. It's bizarre. But Jesus, he's not, he hasn't examined the girl yet so he's not, he's not giving a medical explanation of what's gone on for her. It's his favorite euphemism for death. He's saying, oh yeah, this is girl's dead, but I'm about to wake her up. Jesus is about to go into death and pull her out. <sighs> Who is this man? So they enter the room. Jesus takes her by there. In the room, it's only Jesus and the parents, Peter, James, and John. Jesus just simply, most likely kneels, takes her hand, and says something beautiful, Talitha kum which just means, little girl, I say to you, get up. There's no magic incantation. There's nothing special in the words. I imagine, you know, today, if I'd ever wake up my daughter, she wakes up so early, she wakes up me every morning. But if I ever were to wake her up, I'd just say, darling, it's time to get up. Same thing. Nothing special in the words. The power is not in the words. It's in who is saying the words. It's in Jesus Christ himself. He tells her, little girl, it's time to get up. And she does. We're told the people are astonished. Fair enough. He says, she's, she says she's hungry. Obviously, being dead is hungry work. And they're told to give her something to eat. She gets up. She walks around. We're told she's 12 years old. People are astonished. Can you blame them? Jesus is Lord even over death. It truly is a remarkable account, isn't it? It's an amazing story. The compassion of Jesus is so front and center, isn't it? You get to see so much of who Jesus is. His power over sickness and death is clear. Who is this man? Surely, who else could do this? Let's now take a moment. We're going to finish up soon, but let's now take a moment to examine what faith is to these two 
to these two people? What can we learn about faith from the woman and from Jairus? Well, in both cases, it's not the strength or the substance, substance necessarily of their faith that's important, but it's the object of their faith. What do I mean? It's not the strength of your faith that counts. It's who your faith is in that counts. Right, let me illustrate this a little bit. Um, there's lots of frequent flyers uh, in, the, in the church, I know. And uh, imagine in the airport, there's two passengers about to go down a plane. There's one who's incredibly fearful of flying. He's thinking, I am very nervous. He's a fearful flyer. He doesn't have much confidence in the pilot or the crew or the plane. He's very, very nervous. He thinks, I'm not sure if the pilot, the crew, and the plane can get me safely to my destination. Then you've got the second passenger, who's a frequent flyer, who knows the pilot, knows all about planes, knows the crew, and thinks, I have every confidence in the pilot, the crew, and the plane to get me safely to my destination. Now, at the airport, both people have to make a decision to step on the plane or not, don't they? Both passengers do, one full of faith, one with little faith. They both get on the plane because of the pilot, the crew, and the plane itself, they get safely to their destination. Now, let me ask you a question. Was it the amount of faith that got each passenger to their destination? Was it? No, it was the pilot, the plane, and the crew. You see, one had little faith, one had lots of faith, but they both got there. You see, it wasn't in the substance, the strength of their faith that got them there, but what their faith was in. All they had to do was step on to the plane. If your faith is in Jesus Christ, it is well-placed because he is who he says he is. He's the one who's conquered death and can take you from death to life. Now, people sometimes talk about faith like this. I remember at university having these conversations a lot and, and you know, it often comes up, what do you do? Well, I'm a minister. Oh, okay, well, that's nice for you. Um, people often say, it doesn't matter what you believe in as long as you sincerely believe in it. That's what counts. It doesn't matter if you, what you have faith in, as long as you're sincere, as long as you're enthusiastic about your faith, that's what counts. Really? You might be very sincere in your faith in your car to get you across the Tasman Sea to New Zealand, right? You might be very sincere about the car's ability to get you there, but if it's not true, it's kind of silly, isn't it? It's ill-placed faith. It doesn't matter how sincere you are if what you're putting your faith in isn't true. See, Paul says it of us, the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 15, he says, if Jesus Christ didn't rise from the dead, we are to be pitied above all people. If the Christian faith is not true, it doesn't matter how sincere you are, how enthusiastic you are, it is ill-placed faith. But we can have confidence that our faith in Jesus is true. We can have great confidence in our faith in Jesus. What else, who else can save? Okay, we're going to wrap up in a moment. There's something else I want to note here about faith, about the nature of faith. You notice the two people, Jairus and the woman, the woman's faith is praised, isn't it? Daughter, your faith has healed you. Jairus's faith needs to be propped up. Don't be afraid. Believe. You see that? Do you notice the differences? Why? Why is hers lifted up? And he is not condemned at all, of course, but needs to be propped up. What's going on? Well, I think hers is total. She comes forward and tells him the whole truth. Right? She meets the fear of being exposed head on. 
comes out of the crowd, falls at his feet, tells her the whole truth. This is a picture of complete surrender. This is a picture of fear being met with faith. Now, we are often far more complicated, aren't we? I know I am. You know, we bring parts of our lives to God. You can have this part, but this part's still mine. And it doesn't go well for us. See, putting faith in Jesus, it's a bit like sitting on a chair. When we sit in a chair, we don't, well, sometimes we do, but we don't really make good use of the chair when we just perch our bottoms on the edge. We make good use of the chair when we put all of our weight into the chair. So it is with faith in Christ. When we put our entire, we rest our entire selves in who Jesus is and what he's done for us. Now, Jairus' faith is propped up. He's not condemned, but only reminded, like so many of us need to be aware our faith must lie. Don't be afraid, just believe. Let me ask you a question. What do you need to hear today as we wrap up? What do you need to hear? Are you fearful today? Gosh, there's a lot to be fearful of, isn't there? Are you looking everywhere else? I often, this is exactly right, but I often think about Jairus, right? Here he is. He receives the news from the servants from his house. Jesus is right there. He hears what's going on. And you can see Jairus' attention go from Jesus to them. And I almost imagine him taking his head, you know, or, or moving his shoulders towards himself. He's, Jairus, don't, I don't want to lose you here. Don't be afraid. Don't listen to them. Look at me. Have faith in me. Is that what you need to hear this morning? What are you worried about? What has you up all night? What are you thinking about constantly? Christian, if you have put your faith in Jesus, I want to encourage you this morning to stand firm. Corey Ten Boom, who uh, hid Jews in the Second World War, was an incredible lady, written many books, and she was imprisoned for it. Hey, buddy. <laughs> what are you doing? Okay. <laughs> this is Micah, everybody. <laughs> Oh, thanks, David. So hi to everybody. <laughs> thanks, David. Thank you. You want to sit there with Dave? <laughs> Escaped. It's funny. Corey Ten Boom, um, she said this. It's a wonderful quote. She said this. When a train goes through a tunnel and it gets dark, you don't throw away the ticket and jump off you sit still and trust the driver. Isn't that a great quote? Christian, your faith is well-founded in Christ. Keep trusting, persevere, don't give up. He never will. Let me say this, maybe if you're not a Christian yet, or you're, you're, you're circling the Christian faith, you're thinking, this could be for me, I'm not sure. Let me encourage you this morning, put your faith in Jesus Christ Everything else will fail you. He has not promised to solve all our problems, but he has solved our greatest problem. Jesus has defeated death by his own death on the cross so that in the face of sickness and death, we can be confident that death is not the end for those who have faith in Jesus. I'm not going to pray. I want to ask the band to come up. I'm going to pray. That God would do his work by his spirit this morning. I want to ask you again, where are you at? What do you need to hear this morning? 
Maybe you need to hear, don't be afraid, just believe. I want to encourage you in your faith, your well-founded faith in Christ. We want to offer prayer after the service to people. Maybe you're going through something where you need to be propped up like Jairus. That's okay. Every single one of us at different times in our lives will need that very thing. We want to actually be that for each other and offer prayer for each other. So why don't I pray? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just want to come before you now in a posture of honesty. You know our hearts. You know what's going on. So we don't want to hide from you. Like the woman, she comes exposed and tells the whole truth. There's a whole self, complete surrender. Lord, help us to do that right now. Right now, even in our chairs. Help us to surrender our lives to you and trust you with our future. It is not easy to do. We ask, Father, that you would help us. These words, may they be true for us. Don't be afraid. Just believe. What are we really afraid about? It's a lot of anxiety in our lives, Lord. What are we really struggling with? Reveal it to us and meet us there. Lord God, thank you for the gift of faith. But we ask, Lord, that you'd also strengthen our faith in you because you are worthy of it. And Lord, we ask that you'd You'd minister to us by your people today. In Jesus' name, amen.